0: We're continuing our study through the book of Acts. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, which is Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. We're going to pick up at verse 13, but before we do, let's just do a quick recap. Let's get into context. So let's go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Of course, we're not going to read it all. We're just going to skim through it. So right here at the beginning... The author of the book outlines his purpose for writing the book. We know that the author of the book is Dr. Luke. He's also the author of the Gospel of Luke. He addressed this historical account to his friend, Theophilus. He talks about how Jesus ascended into heaven, told his disciples to go wait in Jerusalem, until they received power from on high. While they were waiting for power from on high, they appointed another apostle to replace Judas. Uh, We talked about how they got out ahead of God. They weren't supposed to do anything until they received the Spirit, but they were eager, and so they thought, hey, we need to replace Judas, and so they did by casting lots. The lot fell to Matthias... And this is all that we know of Matthias. His name is mentioned in Acts chapter 1, and that's it. He had no epistles, no historical writings of any kind, uh, because we believe, of course, that replacement was supposed to be the Apostle Paul. And even when we get out ahead of God, God still accomplishes his purposes, and I'm glad for that, because like you, I'm sure you've got out ahead of God or behind him a few times in your life. But he will accomplish his purpose. Then we talked about the arrival of the Holy Spirit and how this was a brand new thing. Yes, the Holy Spirit is co eternal and co equal with God. He always existed, and he showed himself in the Old Testament, and he empowered people for ministry and for service in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit came and went, descended and ascended. Now the Spirit has come and is staying. The Spirit does not rest upon people. The Spirit fills people. He comes from the inside out. And uh, that was something altogether brand new. And interesting, of course, that this happened on the day of Pentecost, which was an annual feast. Where the old leaven was swept out of a home and new leaven was brought into the home. And on that very day is when the new leaven of the Holy Spirit entered the church. And the world has never been the same since. A little leaven works its way through the whole lump. And uh, spirit-filled believers have gone into all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So some beautiful uh, symbolism there. In the arrival of the Holy Spirit, then in Acts chapter 3, we read about the lame beggar that was healed. The first miracle of the church and uh, the controversy that it uh, stirred up. And then here now in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are brought before the council because they want to know what's going on. What is this healing that took place and why is this lame beggar? now in the temple. Let's focus on that for a minute. We talked a bit about it last time. This lame beggar, because of his lameness, was excluded from temple worship. He was unable to go past the gate and go into the temple because his, uh, his disability, his lameness, disqualified him. And so now, under the new covenant... Um, or sorry, yeah, now under this uh, new covenant, this new era, uh, he has been brought in because these spirit-filled apostles are performing miracles and signs and wonders. And their first miracle is to say to this lame man, rise up and walk. And he gets up and he walks and he walks straight into the place where he had been excluded from his whole life. And that's such an amazing symbolism of our life in Christ. We who were once far off have been brought near. We who were excluded because of our sin nature have now been included because we have a brand new nature. We have a new heart. We have new desires. Uh, We who were wicked and unrighteous and estranged from God because of our sin and our falling short have, uh, have been brought in and have been made brand new. And so this lame beggar that was always on the fringe, always on the outside, is now walking around inside the temple and it caught the attention of the religious people and as we talked about last week, and as we read, they were greatly annoyed that all these outsiders, or particularly this one outsider, is now on the inside. And that has been something, something that's been happening in the church ever since. Uh, we won't talk so much about that tonight, other than to say there have always been those who have been on the in and on the out, but God is a God who invites the whosoever will. And I'm glad that I was a part of that, and I'm glad you are a part of that as well. So let's pick up now in verse 13. We just read that Peter and John were brought before this council of religious people to give an account for what they had done. And... uh During this questioning, Peter pipes up and and says, we healed this man in the name of Jesus, the same Jesus that you crucified. And so now in verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I'm so glad that God uses the uneducated. He unuses the common to astonish the educated and the elite. God uses everyday, ordinary people. And when he does that, people recognize. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. God uses the ordinary things in life, the simple things, to confound the wise, and he uses ordinary people to astonish the educated and the elite, and it shows that we have been with Jesus Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. In other words, they saw the sign, they saw the miracle, and they had no argument. I think theology is great, apologetics are great, uh, but you can't argue with a miracle. You can't argue with a sign and a wonder like that. I was lame, and now I can stand and walk. I mean, you can't argue with that. And so that's why we, we, we pursue uh, the giver of those gifts, because when he gives those gifts, it is a sign to the unbeliever and to the believer that they can't argue, that we can't argue. And so I believe that in these last days, God's going to do even more of this We're studying this book of Acts because we want to relive it. We want to relive it in our own day. And I do want to see people who might come with all of their secular creeds and come with their ideologies and experience the presence of God and see the miracles and have nothing to say, that there's no argument left in their mouth, that they can't say anything in opposition. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them, so Peter and John and the lame man, when they had commanded them to leave the council, the council conferred with one another. And this is what they said What shall we do with these men? For uh, a notable sign has been performed through them, and it is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And that's the nature of signs, they're evident. And people get wind of them, and people believe. And so these religious people have a problem on their hands, and that is that this sign was performed, and people were hearing about it. Everyone in Jerusalem saw what was going on. And and they said, we cannot deny it. But, and that that is the reaction that we all have isn't it, to the word of God, to the gospel, to undeniable signs, is either we believe it or we want to explain it away or reject it. And so they were not going to believe it. They were going to try to explain it away or get rid of it. So they say, but in order that it may not spread further among the people, let us warn Peter and John Uh, Let us warn them to speak to no one else in this name, the name of Jesus. Remember, they saw the sign, and they heard the gospel, and they had a decision to make. Because Jesus told them, or sorry, Peter told them that they did not perform this miracle, but that it was performed in the name of Jesus. Jesus was the one who did it. So they thought, all right, this is a good idea. We're just going to tell them. Don't use that name. Verse 18. So they called Peter and John and charged them not to speak in the sight of God. Or sorry, not to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Let me just read that verse again. I skipped down to the next line. I think I might need glasses. Don't tell my wife. Verse 18, (laughs) so the council called Peter and John and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Have you ever been charged as such? I have. I've been told, have your beliefs and be quiet. Don't say anything. I'll say everything, you know. The person that's telling me that they're free to say whatever they want because there's no power in what they say there's power in the name of Jesus look at verse 19 probably one of my favorite verses that we've read so far but Peter and John answered them whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God you be the judge for we cannot speak we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard right or wrong that's up for you to decide we can only speak what we have seen what we have heard we can do no other uh, the the christian reformer the protestant reformer martin luther when he was on count, or on trial before a council Said these very same words Here I stand, I can do no other. It is the attitude that every follower of Christ must have. And if we don't have it, we need to ask ourselves are we following the true Christ? Have we seen him? Have we been with him? Have we heard him? their reaction was we can't but speak of what we have seen and heard there's no i'll keep it to myself i'll I'll really sincerely believe it but I'll keep it to myself so i don't offend anyone no it's we can't do anything but speak it verse 21 and when they had further threatened them i mean This is playing out in our own time. When they had further threatened them, they let them go. Look at this. Finding no way to punish them. All Satan has is threats. And I mean, yeah, Christians throughout the years have been martyred and persecuted, tortured, all of those things. But Jesus said, don't fear those who can just destroy the body. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And so Satan just has threats. But he has no real accusation. He says they can find no way to punish them. Whatever Satan says, even if it might be true, It's already forgiven. It's done. It's gone. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. That's something worth talking about. If that's truly happened in you, which I know it has, then you can't help but speak it. Verse 22. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old all right verse 23 so they were brought before the council they were charged they were threatened but they were ultimately sent on their way and verse 23 tells us that when they were released they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had to say to them it's important to have friends It's important to have like minded people in your life. It's important to have people you can share with. Uh, We read from Psalm 133 tonight that says it is fitting for the upright to live in unity, or it's great when brothers and sisters live together in unity. We need to have fellowship, we need to gather together. We can't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's so easy to make the excuses, but it's so incredible when we come together with uh, our friends and with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. So that's what they did. They immediately went to their friends and told them what had happened. And when the friends heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and prayed. Isn't it amazing to have friends you can pray with? And they said, Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly, in this city, uh, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pilate, Along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. It's an incredible history lesson that they give in this prayer. And uh, it's important that when we pray, we include scripture. It's amazing when you pray scripture back to God, um, how he answers his word. And so here they quote scripture. Uh, They quote, what are they quoting there, I wonder? Where's my cross reference, verse 26? Uh, Daniel, chapter 9, they're quoting there. So they quote back to God, and then they say, in this city it happened that they gathered together against your servant Jesus, Herod and Pilate, the Gentiles, and even the people of Israel. But what they did, they did to fulfill your plan, the plan that you predestined, Jesus who from the foundation of the earth was the Lamb of God who was slain. They thought they were accomplishing their plan. But you were accomplishing your plan through them. So now, Lord, they say, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And I love that word all. Because it's all inclusive. It doesn't mean some boldness. It means all boldness. All the time. Boldness. Anytime we speak the gospel, it requires boldness. Verse 30. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together, look at this, was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued. To speak the word of God with boldness. Now, I talked to someone who was critical of my desire to relive the book of Acts. They said, oh, it just happened and it doesn't need to happen again. Pentecost was a one-time event. And I said, oh, really? Well, just three chapters later, or two chapters later, we read that the same thing that happened on the day of Pentecost happened again. They prayed, and the room where they were um, the room where they were gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Spirit. Doesn't seem like a one-time event. I don't think it's just a two-time event either because as we read through the book of Acts, it's going to keep happening. We're going to keep reading that phrase and they were all filled with the Spirit. Just think on that for a sec. So, if Joel's prophecy is fulfilled In Acts chapter 2, when Peter gets up and says, this is what the prophet Joel said, in the last days I will pour out my spirit. And God poured out his spirit, and he said, this is that. And the church is still in the world, and God is still baptizing and still filling. Wouldn't it stand to reason then that we can read this book and study it in its proper context and know what it is saying and then ask God for the, for the ability and the privilege to relive it in our day? Doesn't it just make sense? Like God is still working. He's still saving. People still need to preach the gospel with boldness. God still heals. He still delivers. He's still doing all this stuff. And so why can't he use us? individually why can't he use us as a church well he can and he will that's why i think it's so important for us to pray god let us relive the book of acts and i think we can best do that by studying it like this and then praying lord here i am use me when i was originally thinking about this and feeling impressed to pursue revival personally first and then and i, I don't feel like i've arrived at like a full revival. I'm pursuing it. I think it's an ongoing pursuit, but to make that something that we're doing collectively as well, I really felt that it was important for us to define revival as returning to this, reliving this, obeying this, and then letting God work through us and move through us and do what he's going to do. And so, yeah, we can't have revival. We, we What we have is a I think, a lot of times, a dead faith and a powerless faith. Now, I'm not accusing all Christians of that. I think there's some powerful uh, followers of Jesus Christ who aren't part of this church or who aren't charismatic or Pentecostal. But a lot of people, even within our own church and in our Pentecostal assemblies, just have a powerless religion. They don't have a powerful faith in a living God. They're just going through the motions. They don't have revival. And I want them to. Because I want, I want it. And I know you guys do too. Verse 32. I haven't even looked at those notes that I gave you yet. I think I've touched on everything. And more here, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one, um, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. We also read that back in Acts 242. Let's just flick back there. Yeah. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon every soul. Wonders, signs were being done. And all who, were to, all who believed were together and had all things in common, selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to those as they were in need. And so that was continuing to happen here in uh, chapter 4. I don't know how long of a time span that was. I can imagine it was long enough that Luke decided to write it down again, that they still were of one mind, of one heart and soul, And they had things in common. And look look at this, verse 33. This is the one we were just talking about, Ralph. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Now, some people who are cessationist, meaning they believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased with the apostles, would look at this and say, all right, there was great power with the apostles as they were giving their testimony to the resurrection. And then when they were done giving their testimony, when they had lived their life and wrote their epistles and planted their churches, uh, there's no more power now for the believer. Mm. I I just have a hard time believing that. I really do. Plus, you'll notice here that the word apostle is not capitalized. And oftentimes when it's in reference to the 12 apostles, it's capitalized. I think that um, what we read in other parts of the New Testament, particularly in... I'd hate to quote... I'd hate to misquote that... But in one of the pastoral epistles, when it says that he gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, preachers, and teachers, I believe that God was giving these gifts to the church even then, and that there were others who uh, were operating in an apostolic gift, and they were operating in power, giving testimony. And you know, though we have not seen with our own eyes, the resurrection of Jesus. We weren't eyewitnesses. Uh, Jesus says that our testimony is no less valid because he said, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. I mean, we needed to have eyewitnesses who, like Luke, could write this stuff down so that we could know we see with a different eye. We see with the eye of faith. And those of us who see with the eye of faith can still have, or do have, rather, great power to, uh, to give that testimony to the world around us. Verse 34, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them, And brought the proceeds of what they sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levi, a native of Cyprus, he had sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He did something amazing, an incredible act of obedience, something that he was not required to do. But the generosity of the one who lived in him, Jesus, inspired him to do this. And we're not going to get into it this week because it's a fascinating story. It's a controversial story. But that incredible act of obedience... It's an inspiring act. It inspired a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And um, it inspired them the right way, but they did not react to it the right way. They did not act on that inspiration the right way. And so we're going to take lots of time next week to really dive into the story of Ananias and Sapphira, like I said. It's a controversial story. It seems to be a one off. Um, there's no other mention of this type of thing happening anywhere else in the book of Acts. And I can't say that I hear stories of this happening in the church today. I haven't heard of people who put their offering in the basket and then drop dead. So we got to figure out what's going on here. So we'll take some time next time to really dig into that. There is some powerful truth that comes out of this story that is just as applicable for us today as it was back then. But we'll talk about two people who died suddenly. You think about that? Amen.